You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. We are in the book of Song of Songs. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn there. Welcome to our downtown, our Siena, our Cyprus, our digital family, all of our campuses. Welcome as we have been journeying through the Song of Songs. We've been looking at this life of Solomon, this section of his life, of the dating, of the courtship. And now we get to the wedding and the wedding night. Now, as we jump into this, I want you to do a couple things. One, I want you to grab your listening guide so you can take some notes. I've also put some sources or other resources down there at the bottom for you. Two books that I've read dealing with homosexuality and then also a counseling center QR code that you can click right there because some of the things we're gonna talk about may be something that you need to talk to somebody further about. And so we want to be able to give you that opportunity. So you've got those right there at the bottom of your listening guide. So as we jump into this, I want you to know, as I've been telling you, we're going to laugh, we're going to learn, and we're going to heal. That's where we're going. We're going to laugh. There's going to be some times along this, you're just going to have to have a little tension breaker to just laugh a bit. We're going to learn and we're going to heal as well. These are tender things. These can be hurtful things in many people's lives. So that's why I want you to have that Counseling Center QR code so that you could talk further if you needed to, if you wanted to about that. Now, there's some folks that this is going to be a very applicable message for you as a married couple. There's going to be some folks that you're filing this away and you're thinking, man, one day as a student or a single and thinking through these things, there's going to be other folks that you just need to say, praise the Lord. Somebody's talking about God's plan for sex is what you need to be able to do. And to know that God has given us an entire book of the Bible to talk about love and to talk about relationships. Now, the romance that we're going to see here with Solomon, I don't think guys were ever going to make it to that level. It's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean we don't need to shoot for it and study it as well. You know, the freedom in Christ that Galatians talks about, I probably won't ever make it to that level of freedom. The wisdom that Proverbs talks about, I probably will never be as wise as Proverbs wants me to be. In the, the righteousness of Romans, in the romance of Song of Songs, but I'm so grateful to God that he gives us a book of the Bible to be able to look into and to understand and to see what his plan is. I want you to look in chapter 3, verse 6 through 11, and we're going to see the wedding day. The wedding day is what we're going to see here in chapter 3, verse 6 through 11. Here's what it says. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant powder of a merchant? Look, Solomon's bed or chariot surrounded by 60 warriors from the mighty men of Israel. All of them are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has a sword at his side to guard against the terror of the night. King Solomon has made a carriage for himself with wood from Lebanon. Listen how beautiful this is. He's made it with posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior inlaid with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Go out, young women of Zion, and gaze at Solomon, wearing his crown that his mother has placed on him on the day of his wedding at the day of his heart's rejoicing. Here's what we have in that section of Scripture, the public celebration of Solomon's wedding. Weddings are marriage covenants that are celebrated publicly. Weddings are marriage covenants that are celebrated publicly. 
Now, what's a covenant? There's a difference in a covenant and a contract. A contract is what you're going to do when you buy a car. Contract's what you're going to do when you buy a house. Contract's a business deal. It's a trading of promises. I'm going to give you this, and you're going to give me that. It's a giving of promises. I love this quote. A covenant is an exchange of purpose, or excuse me, a covenant is an exchange of persons. A contract is an exchange of promises. Dr. Scott Hahn. A covenant is an exchange of persons. A contract is an exchange of promises. So that's why in a wedding it says, who gives this woman in marriage? Her mother and I. Do you take Kelly to be your, wife, your lawfully wedded wife? Do you take Greg to be your husband? See, it's an exchange of persons. I'm giving myself to you. You're giving yourself to me. It's not just, do we agree that we're going to make sure the rent's covered every month? Do we agree that when we get to the grocery store, we're splitting the bills? Are we agreeing that I'm changing the flats and you're changing the diapers? Are we agreeing upon some contractual things that are happening here? It is deeper. And so Solomon displays this. Your wedding day is a public testimony that is such a special day. Everything is different about your wedding day. And we see this here with Solomon. First of all, we see a lot of pomp and circumstance, don't we? Here's a, it says, here's like a, like a pillar of smoke coming. It said in verse six, who is coming from the wilderness like columns of smoke. That's symbolism to say, you remember in the Exodus when Moses was being led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, saying God's been leading this all through these first couple of chapters. God's been leading us to this point. It's myrrh and frankincense as are the smells because it was costly. No expense was too much for Solomon. And then we get to a place where he is going to declare how precious marriage is and how protected it is. See, marriage is precious and to be protected. Write that in your notes. Sienna, Cyprus, write it down, downtown. Marriage is precious and to be protected. Now, how do we see that in the Scripture? We see the protection in the Scripture that it said that he had. Did you catch it? In verse 7, look at Solomon's bed surrounded by 60 warriors from the mighty men of Israel, the mighty men of David. Here they are surrounding 60 of them, all of them skilled with swords, trained in warfare. Each has a sword on his side to guard the terror of the night. There is protection that has to happen in our marriages. We've got to protect against things coming in that shouldn't come in. We've got to protect in our thoughts of marriage things that are not of God coming in to be able to say, okay, God, what is the authentic relationship of marriage of one man, of one woman for a lifetime? How can we protect our mindsets? How can we protect our marriages? And here he gives symbolism, 60 men, now, I've been to weddings where there's been a lot of groomsmen. I've never been to a wedding with 60 groomsmen. 60 men with swords. Ladies, how protected would you feel at that moment? <clears throat> how taken care of would you feel at that moment? I want to share with you just some, some personal along the way as I've been doing in the series just because I want to connect with you and want to have a little bit of fun. Let me show you the protective party at my wedding. This is Kelly. Beautiful, beautiful bride, almost 25 years ago, and that's my groomsmen and ushers. Now, let me tell you what, those guys surrounding her, if someone would have come into the church that day, if somebody would have wanted to do her harm that day, their role is to not let that happen. 
Their role in standing with us and her bridesmaids as well are to stand with us in strength of saying there's a declaration. These are my guys. And Solomon says, I want you to protect marriage. I want you to protect marriage. Tommy Nelson puts it like this. As a whole, those who witness your marriage should be like a holy hedge of protection around you, keeping you focused towards each other inside the circle of matrimony and keeping out anybody who might try to destroy your marriage. Don't ask someone to stand up for you who isn't completely committed to you, to your marriage and to marriage in general, to the sanctity and value of marriage. Those that stand up with you, they are standing for you. And Solomon says, this thing is so important. I got 60 guys and they got swords and we've got a chariot. We've got a, a, a carriage that's coming. It's actually a, a bed that she's going to be walked on or sit on and be walked by all of these men. It is amazing to see that. There was valor. There was protection. We need to protect each other's marriages and protect our own marriages as well. I did a few weeks ago a message called Affair Proofing Your Marriage. You ought to go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it. No one was going to harm this marriage in the presence of these men. And men, I ask you with your wives, are you a protective man? Are you protecting her in your marriage? Are you protecting her? Are you providing? Are you doing the things that you need to do to make sure that she is safe and that she is cared for? Not only is there protection, there's provision and approval. In verses 9 through 11, we see that she is led out with this wonderful chariot. It has posts of silver, backs of gold, seats of purple. I love the interior is inlaid with love. What a great ingredient. Solomon demonstrates his wealth as a sign that he can provide for his bride. He demonstrates you're going to be taken care of. I'm going to let you be walked in protection in this moment. Now, I bet your chariot wasn't quite like that that you led away. What would you ride away in in your leaving the reception? What was it that got you from the, the wedding to the reception? What got you from the reception, you know, back to your car or whatever it was? Maybe it was a Rolls Royce. Maybe it was some type of an incredible chariot. Maybe it was an amazing thing. Let me show you this. Solomon's got something going on, but he doesn't have anything on me. This is what we rolled away in. My cousin driving a Honda Accord. There it is, right there. <laughs> Kelly was really special, no doubt about it. She deserved a chair. That's as good as I could do. My cousin leaving the reception, driving the Honda Accord that we bought used, right? Or that I had bought and used before we got married. And there we were, and we headed out. So, hey, if you didn't have a chariot, Neither did I. It's a-okay. Better to have a great marriage than a fancy wedding, okay? It'll last a lot longer to be able to do that. Now, if you get both, then that's awesome too as well. Now, here's the last thing, and then we're going to jump into the wedding night, is that there's an approval thing that happens. Did you see it in verse 11? It says, go out, young women of Zion, and gaze at King Solomon wearing the crown. If you look back in verse four, these young women are celebrating this relationship of chapter one, verse four. So there's a witness, there's an approval. And so he says, go out young women of Zion and gaze at King Solomon wearing the crown his mother placed on him on the day of his wedding and the day, I love it, of his heart's rejoicing. Of his heart's rejoicing. How incredible and wonderful. Shouldn't that be what's happening in a marriage ceremony? That there is a rejoicing of the heart. Here his mom, Bathsheba, is placing a crown or a turban upon his head 
to say, I'm for you and I'm for this relationship. Now, if the witnesses in your life are not for the relationship, you need to investigate deeper. They may have wisdom and discernment. They may just need to know the person better. I don't know. But when people that are close to you say, I'm not sure, you need to be humble enough to say, why? Tell me about this. What's going on? Because many a person will say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm in love. And then a few years later, they go, I really care what everybody thinks. What did I do? And in that moment, you have to have this approval moment. So we've gotten through the wedding day. He's coming provided by God like a pillar of cloud by day. Here he is now with 60 men to show protection. He's got her going out in a wonderful chariot to show provision. There's approval with the folks that are surrounding him. And then we're going to end up in the wedding night at the chapter four is going to begin. Now, a couple of weeks ago, as I've been talking about these things, a father asked his, his young daughter, he said, well, what'd you think about Pastor Greg's message? And she said, I liked all of it, except when he started reading the Bible. Ugh, huh. Now, I don't know if there's been many messages that I've had anybody say, when he started reading the Bible, ugh, this is going to be the section right here, Okay. Because what we're going to see is we're going to see intimacy. We're going to see God's provision. We're going to see blessing. We're going to see a husband and a wife. And we're going to see this wedding night. And we should be so grateful that God has put this in the Bible for us. God invented physical intimacy. God invented marriage. God knows exactly how it's to be. And we're going to see in the blessing of God, underneath the blessing of God, and what you see in the world and what you hear, students and singles in particular on social media and movies, it doesn't have the blessing of God. If it had the blessing of God, they wouldn't be showing it to everybody that's out there. Pornography does not have the blessing of God on it. But we're going to see between a husband and a wife brought together by God, the blessing of God upon a physical relationship. I told you that the wedding day is a very public thing. Well, the wedding night is a very private thing. It's a private celebration. Marriage covenants, the giving of persons to one another, are expressed privately through physical intimacy. Through privately, through physical intimacy. Now, what's going to happen here is we're going to get a lot of symbolism. It's going to be a wonderful poetic thing that is happening here. Now, if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to just try to take notes right in your Bible next to what I'm trying to tell you here so that you could just look back in your scriptures and be able to see this. So let's jump in in chapter four, verse one through 15. And we're going to, it's going to take us a little bit to get through it, but we're going to see here the blessing of God and physical intimacy within marriage. Here we go. Verse one. How beautiful, this is the man talking, how beautiful are you, my darling. Nine times darling is used in the Song of Songs. It means friend and lover. How are you, my best friend and my lover? Now watch what he does. He is going to come through and he's going to tell her her beauty from head to toe, basically. And he's gonna say to her, you are so gorgeous and so beautiful. Do you remember in chapter one, she said, don't look at me, don't look at me. My skin is not beautiful. I've been sunburned. I'm an outdoor girl. Don't look at me. And now because of the intimacy of their relationship, she is going to be looked at and he's going to speak to her beauty all the way from head to toe. Her confidence, her security is strong. Watch what happens. How beautiful behind your veil are your eyes are like doves. What does that mean? 
peaceful, relaxed, tranquil. The eyes are the window to the soul and they're like a peaceful dove. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Let me explain for just a minute here. Because the guys were like, I got it. Eyes like doves. I know. I'm going to tell my wife that. My, your hair's like a flock of goats? What is this going on? Ladies, you've never walked into Visible Chain and said, I'm just looking for a flock of goats. That's what I'm looking for. A flock of goats, this is a shepherd type of uh, motif, and it's coming off Mount Gilead, and these black goats would come down Mount Gilead, and it was beautiful, beautiful in that society to see them come down. Not only that, notice, ladies, that her hair is down. Jewish women wore their hair up. You ever heard the phrase, let your hair down? What does that mean? Relax. So she is just with her guy her husband, and her hair is down, her eyes are peaceful, she's relaxed, she's at peace, and he says, this is beautiful. Verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep. It gets worse, doesn't it? <laughs> Coming up from washing, each one is bearing twins and is lost, none has lost its young. That is saying, my girl's got all her teeth. That's what it's saying, okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord for her dentist. Praise the Lord for her orthodontist. She's brushed and flossed. She is an oral B kind of girl, and she has got it going on, and she's got all her teeth. But it also means this, she's smiling. You ever been on vacation, and you bump into somebody, and you say, oh, how are you? And they say, we're on our honeymoon. <laughs> you just grin on your honeymoon, don't you? Nobody's going to disturb you. Nobody's going to call you. The office is going to leave you alone. You got money to burn. We're on our honeymoon. She's just grinning from ear to ear. And he says, your smile, my dear, is beautiful. Verse three, your lips are like a scarlet cord and your mouth is lovely, beautiful, beautiful lips. Behind your veil, your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. What does that mean? It means that she's a blushing bride, that there's a redness to her cheeks behind her veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it. All of them shields of the warriors. They would take their shields and they would hang them onto the tower to say loyalty to the king that they were fighting for. So he says, your, your neck is, is a place of loyalty. How does a confident woman carry herself? She walks straight up. Her posture is good. Her neck is strong. She's not like this. She's like this. And he says, your neck is strong and you're, you're confident in who you are. Verse five, your breasts are like two fawns, like the twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies until daybreak and the shadows flee. So that means all night, I will make my way to the mountains of myrrh in the hill of frankincense. The mountains of myrrh, the mountain of myrrh in the hill of frankincense is her breast, just as it says in verse five, your breasts are like two fawns. So he's starting from the top, he's coming down and he's speaking to now her naked body and saying to her, you are beautiful. And your most intimate places are, are like a fawn, like a, like, a, like a bubbling brook with a fawn by it, a, a little deer. Now, now, gentlemen, let me ask you, how do you approach deer? Quietly, calmly, sweetly. You put on camouflage so that you can be a part of their environment. You don't say, hey, deer, come give me a kiss right now. What's going to happen when that happens? Boom. The deer is fleeing. That's what's happening. Cypress, listen up. Sienna, downtown. Digital Bay. Boom. 
It's saying when you as a man and a woman, your wife, the husband, you're gentle, you're kind, you realize that this is a, a place of preciousness, of intimacy that's happening. You're not harsh. You're not strong in that way. You're not demanding. Now, it's an interesting thing we'll get to in just a second, how this will go even further. So I want you to remember this on this next part in verse eight. We'll take this even another notch. Verse seven, you are absolutely beautiful, my darling. Again, darling, that means friend and lover. There is no imperfection in you. How awesome is that, ladies? That he's looking at her from head to toe and he says, the standard of beauty is my wife. Gentlemen, the standard of beauty is not Hollywood airbrushed models. The standard of beauty for you is your wife. That's what gorgeous looks like. And everything else is less than for you because she is the one that you say, there is no imperfection in you. And in an intimate situation or really in any situation, gentlemen, it can wound a lady so much to say, you know what? And then you say something derogatory about the way that she looks. It'll wound a lady. Especially in an intimate situation, it will be tremendously wounding. So he says, there is no imperfection in you. Now watch, verse eight. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me. He's inviting her. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend the peak of Amana and from the summit of Sinir. Those are the tallest peaks in northern Israel. And from the summit of Mount Hermon, from the den of lions, danger, from the mountain of lep leopard, not leopards, uh, yeah, leopards. I almost said leprosy. Leopards. I don't think we're going there. Leopards. So he's saying, I want you to come from these places of these intimidating mountains with leopards, with lions. I want you to come to safety with me. Listen to this quote from a commentator. He does not command her, he calls her. He does not demand, he invites. He invites her to come to him and leave her fears behind. He will care for her, he will protect her. Sensual anticipation must be clothed with words and safety and words of security if it expects a warm reception. Do you see what he's doing here, gentlemen? He's saying, I want you to come from dangerous places and I want you to come to me to the safest place. Let me make a statement for all of us men and women alike. The marriage bed and the marriage bedroom should be the safest place on earth, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, that should be the safest place on earth. There's no other place that you will have greater physical intimacy, relational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy than that. And some of us have been hurt tremendously in the sexual realm, and it's carried over into our marriages, possibly. Or it's carried over in your thoughts about sex and physical intimacy. That room and that place should be the safest place in the world. You can go to work and you can get beat up. You can be frustrated with family. You can be tired, but when the lights go off and you're in that room, that should be the place 
in which you are the safest and can say, can I tell you about my day? Where someone will hold you, will someone will care for you, will someone will, will tell you encouraging words? See, it's not about sex. And the whole world's made it about physical intimacy. It's not about that. It's about an intimate relationship that blossoms in physical intimacy. Do you see it? It's not about the physical intimacy. And that's what, what the world's done is taken this and separated it from everything else and said, here it is. This is the greatest. So it can be a one night stand. It can be after a few dates. It can be this. It can be that. It can be an affair. It can be whatever you want it to be. That's not the way God puts it together. He puts it together as a relationship that's been developing. Do you remember in chapter two, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't let the foxes in our vineyard steal. And it ripens in to a place of relational, verbal, conversational, emotional, spiritual, physical intimacy. And the reason God puts it within marriage is because he wants you to learn how to talk to each other first. Because it's real easy to just be with one another, but to talk with one another. And students and singles, I want to encourage you. You're going to have to talk to people. You can't just text them all the time. You're losing verbal skills. And so you've got to be able to have this conversation that this conversation provides safety, that this safety finally provides intimacy. Do you see this man, his words, he's been talking for chapters about her beauty. And then he finally says, come away with me now. And we're gonna see, she's gonna say, yes. She's going to say, yes. They've waited for the physical passion has not been stirred up until it could be fully expressed now. And let me just tell you this, parents, we've got to talk to our kids about these things. If the church isn't talking about it and the parents aren't talking about it, who's left to talk about it? They're gonna learn it from somebody you don't want them to learn it from. So the church and the parents gotta be talking about it so there can be a relationship. Let me just tell you flat out, parents, they will figure out the biology I promise you they will figure out the biology. We've got to teach them the theology behind it and teach them the relationship behind it. They'll figure out the biology. And so he says here, would you come? Because this is more than biological. This is a place of utter safety. Words of affirmation precede true intimacy. Words of affirmation precede true intimacy. And he says, on our honeymoon, we are going to be in this place where we can talk about these things and we can have true intimacy. Women first cross an emotional bridge, then a physical bridge. Men first cross a physical bridge, then an emotional bridge. Does that mean that men aren't emotional? No. Does it mean women aren't physical? No. It just means that God has rigged it and put it together so that there's a companionship that takes place after these verbal, after this emotional, after this relationship, that then he's rigged it. Men have a different sex drive than women. And this emotional bridge, this physical bridge, for women, sex begins with touching the heart and the mind. She gets ready for a sexual encounter through what she feels and thinks. Nothing can prepare her better than a husband telling her how amazing she is to get her heart ready for that marriage moment. For men, sex begins with just about anything. <laughs> but God has rigged it. He's put it together. 
You can laugh. So that that is more than just physical. It's not selfishness. It's selflessness, as we'll get to in just a moment. So here she has this moment where she is hearing these things. Look in verse 9. Look at, look at the husband's words. You have captured my heart, my sister, friendship, my bride. You have captured my heart, he says again, with one glance of your eyes, with one, one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine. Do you see her responding with her touches towards him? And the fragrance of your perfume is better than any balsam. There's a, there's a sweet aroma. There's not a scent of sin. There's a scent of the blessing of God. Your lips drip with sweetness like honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. What is that? What kind of kiss is that? Let me just tell you, it precedes France, okay? The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. My sister, my bride, you are a locked garden. He's talking about her purity. A locked garden. Notice he's going to say garden six times in six verses. A sealed spring. Your branches are paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruits, which is a, a very sexual uh, uh, symbolism with pomegranates and choicest fruits. With henna, with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes and the best spices. Do you see? You're lovely, you're gracious, you're beautiful. It's like spices in the garden. Think of this in a desert territory of the Middle East, of Israel, that we have here a garden or an oasis. Verse 15, you are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. Her garden is a spring. It's a place of love. It's a place of care. It's a place of intimacy that she has there. So Solomon begins with compliments from head to toe of romance. But here's what happens when you've been married for a while. Responsibility steals romance for both men and women. Work is difficult. Home is difficult. Nobody has the energy to be spontaneous anymore. Nobody has the energy to write poems anymore. Nobody has the energy to do anything. It's just all we can do to just make it through the day. And responsibility steals romance. I want to encourage you in your marriage not to let that happen. He looks head to toe and he says, you are beautiful. And then ladies, she responds. If you want your intimacy to be better in your marriage, here's what you work on. You don't work on intimacy, you work on tenderness. And when you work on tenderness and you show him respect, ladies, and he shows you love, love as it says in Ephesians 5, then the tenderness and the intimacy will come and it will grow because it's more than physical. It's more than physical. Now, Ladies, let me just, I, don't, I hope this doesn't discourage you too much. I'm going to show you the picture of the lady he just described. I mean, can you, can you get an imagine of this? There she is. Isn't she beautiful? Flock of goat hairdo, tower neck, horse like a, or face like a horse. That's her. Hey, you're prettier than she is right there for sure. So be encouraged. What he is saying is, it's not about the physical beauty. It's about the character of this woman. And it's about who she is. Because when the lights are off, it doesn't matter what you look like anyway. God, you can laugh. It's okay. I told you we're going to laugh as we go along. 
but it matters the intimacy of that relationship before the physical intimacy that happens. Now let's look at what's her response going to be, ladies. Verse 16. We're going to do 16 through uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. Awaken. Do you remember in chapter 2, verse 7 and 15, they said, do not awaken. Do not wake, awaken love before it's time. Now she says, awaken north wind. What was the north wind? That was a strong wind. Come south wind. What was the south wind? That was a gentle wind. What is she saying? I want your strength and I want your gentleness. Come. Blow on my garden and spread the fragrances of its spices. Let my love, watch the change of pronouns, let my love come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. What is that? That's the consummation of the marriage. I have come, and then he says in chapter 5, I have come to my garden. Watch him say my how many times? My sister, my bride, I gather my myrrh with my spices. I eat my honeycomb I, with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. And then the narrator says, eat friends, drink, and be intoxicated with caresses. So here we have selflessness where she gives herself away. And she says, come, and my garden is your garden. My body is your body. Here's what it means. Selflessness produces true satisfaction. Selflessness produces true satisfaction. See, what we see here is that he comes to his wife verbally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and then she says, yes, and let's also come physically. You see the response? Because this is the safest place she could ever be. Her hair is down. Her beauty is secure. Her embrace is there. The provision, the protection. This is her guy. And he's going to take care of her. And if he doesn't take care of her, those 60 guys with swords will. Because he's done everything he could to make this the safest place in the world for her. So then 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do you remember these verses of Scripture? It says this in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3. And a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise her wife to her husband. A wife does not have right over her own body, but her husband, notice wife and husband, wife and husband, wife and husband, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have a right over his body, but his wife does. Don't deprive one another, except for times that you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of control. It says the wife doesn't have control over her body and the husband doesn't have control over his body. And you see it lived out in this verse where she says, I'm yours. And he says, I receive you. He said, my garden is now your garden. And he says, I, I receive that and I've given myself as well. There is no selfishness exhibited in the bedroom of marriage. Each other's needs are prioritized above their own. My garden turns to his garden. Let me just speak of word no selfishness in sexual relationships that God has a blessing on. Pornography is selfish. Sex outside of marriage is selfish. It's I want to get my needs met and God has rigged it, if you will, planned it, better said, of a man and a woman with different ways of responding sexually to say, I want you to come through the doorway of relationship before you get to intimacy. And that doesn't happen in the movie. It's like 20 minutes in. Doesn't happen in the music. 
It's a demanding of selfishness that takes place. And I just, just, I just ask you this question. What if we obeyed God in just this one thing of sex? Just this one thing. If it was physical intimacy with a husband and a wife within marriage, what if that one thing was obeyed? You know what would happen? There'd be no more molestation of children. There'd be no more rape. There'd be no more affairs. There'd be no more pornography. There'd be no more homosexuality. There'd be no more division politically in this area. But we will not, because of our pride and our selfishness, stay within the blessing of God. And I just want to call us all, in all areas, but in this one in particular, stay under the hand and the blessing of God. Outside the hand and the blessing of God is chaos in this area, is pain in this area, is hurt in this area, is wounding in this area. Stay under the blessing of God. What is that? That's walking with Christ in the midst of marriage and purity. And I want you to know very quickly, I say this right on the heels of that, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And he can redeem and he can change and he can do great things. She says, come, because he has built her self-esteem and now the wedding day leads to the wedding night. Now, unfortunately, Solomon's gonna get off track. Did that break your heart? He's gonna get off track and it's gonna cost him the kingdom. It's gonna be a split kingdom because of Solomon. And he's gonna have all sorts of problems because he's gonna marry a lot of foreign women and he's gonna end up worshiping their idols and he's gonna lose his heart. But right now we got a picture of him underneath the hand of God. Now let me close with this. The two become one, as it says in Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25, and they were naked and not ashamed. Not ashamed. Shame is a tool to pull us back to the blessing of God, isn't it? Sin and remorse and, ah, why did I do that? It's to pull us back to the blessing of God and to be able to be in that moment of the blessing of God. Now, let me close with a quote and then a story. This is what Douglas Rosano says in his book, A Celebration of Sex for Newlyweds. He says, sex is not the most important and part of a marriage. Loving companionship and a right relationship with God, that is the essential. So we follow God. Then God brings us that pillar of cloud and then we take care of that woman if it costs us our life. We take care, and ladies, you take care of that man and now there's a relationship where the safest place is in that place of intimacy. Now, let me give you a funny story. We'll close, relieve the tension for just a minute, and then I'll be able to close with something I, I want you to hear of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the first question I was ever asked in seminary was? I was a young seminary student. I got to class. I would go from College Station down to Houston at Houston Baptist University, Southwestern Seminary, was uh, doing an extension campus there. And I'm sitting on the front row, just came out of the A&M Business School. And I got my notes and the, uh, the teacher would walk in and he'd say, let's pray. And I go, what, he's gonna pray in class? He's gonna get fired. No, I'm in seminary. This is gonna be great. I was like, this is awesome. And so I'm in a marriage and family class and the teacher walks in, he's an older gentleman, he's very astute, you know, like he should have a pipe in his mouth kind of thing, a cardigan sweater, I mean, just fit the mold. And he, he said, well, let's talk about expectations within marriage. That's one of the problems in counseling you'll hear a lot is men and women have different sexual exp uh, expectations. And I'm like, 
Well, we sure didn't talk about this at business school. I mean, I don't know what was going on here. And so he says uh, to the man in the back, he goes, um, sir, um, his, he says, um, what would you say the expectations are for a man in marriage, a single man in marriage, his expectations before he gets married? So the guy in the back is a friend of mine. He says, I don't really want to speak because I'm married, and that's kind of too autobiographical, but ask my friend Greg Mott, who's sitting on the front row. He's single. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm on the front row and he looks at me and I'm like, okay. And he says, Greg, you're single. What would be the expectations of a young single man like yourself of sex once you're married? And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't really know how to answer this, you know, in a spot here. And I, I thought, I said, every day? <laughs> and the whole class, just as you did, bursted out laughing. Because I was in, you know, was, just took seminary once a, uh, once a week. So it was like all these pastors, and these people trying to get their degrees. So it's not like just, I'm the youngest guy in the room. So they bust out laughing. I'm like, man, this is discouraging. That's what I started thinking as a single guy. And the guy behind me said this. He was an old pastor. He, he was kind of a country guy. He goes, it's like that in the beginning, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. I thought about that guy, that whole situation. Let me tell you what, it might not last, but let me tell you what does last. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ lasts if you've made mistakes. Let me tell you what does last. The redemption of Jesus Christ, if you need help in your marriage, it lasts. Let me tell you what does last. Tender, kind words to your bride, to your husband, intimacy verbally and relationally that then blossoms. Those things do last. Let me give you encouragement. Marriage lasts. You could be married for 50, 70 years, whatever it is that God gives you. Yes, the frequency won't last quite like it does on the honeymoon, but there is so many better lasting things of a wife that will care for you on a hard day at work, of a husband that will care for you when you've had a hard day, ladies, of someone that will snuggle with you and love you and tell you you're beautiful until the day you die. The blessing of God lasts. It lasts. And that's what we want to be under is the blessing of God. So let's take the song of songs and embrace it. Teach it to our kids, live it out in our lives and quit just taking what everybody is peddling in the world all the time. You follow God, you trust Jesus. And he can change your life, even in this area. He can break addictions. He can give forgiveness. He can do things. Jesus lasts. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord because it's lasting. Father, we come and we thank you in Jesus' name, Lord. We've covered a lot of ground. There's much more we could say. And talk about things even further. But Lord, we've, we've, we've tried to rightly divide your word of truth. And we just tell you, Jesus, would you just speak to our hearts, God?
for those that are hurting, Lord, for those that need healing, God. Father, speak. Jesus, help us, God, in this area. Our society is falling apart. And so are our hearts. And we come to you as a lasting Savior. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, God. Would you just turn to Christ in this very moment? Every campus, online. What did you hear today that you needed to hear? Take it to Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.